fully God and fully man, he is, of course, a mother's son. The child she once carried, now given into hands of men who know not what they do. My spirit rejoices, we read in her song, remembered by God, her savior. Now joy turns to mourning as the mother is witness to life laid down for his friends. His Mary and John, the disciple he loved, are family now by his word. Together at the end, they have seen his passion, the last until resurrection. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. Good morning, Menlo Church. My name is Cheryl. Good morning. It's so good to be with you guys. Um, My name is Cheryl. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I've missed being with you in this context, Uh, but it's fun to be getting to preach, but I'm also really, really thankful for our new senior pastor, Phil Eubank, who you have heard, and uh, he's coming back next week, so don't panic, Um, and uh, he's down at our San Jose campus. Uh, but one of the things, the privileges I have is that um, I don't just hear Phil preach, I'm, I'm working with him and watching him lead. And truly, I, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke, he is my boss, but I am, it's true. I've, I just, my respect for him increases every day. And he is leading us well. He's leading us in hard things, uh, but they're good things and they're right things. That we would be a church that stays on mission with Jesus a church that reflects the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. And so I'm really thankful to work with him. If you are visiting with us for the first time or have been checking us out for a little bit, whether it's online or at any of our campuses, we are one church in many locations. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. We want to get to know you. We are in a series that, in which we're looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross. And those words tell us so much about who Jesus is. And they also tell us about the human condition. And that's why we want to look at them. That's why they're important. And as we talk about this uh, merge with our San Jose and our Saratoga campus uh, together that will be next week when they will come together, um, I found it kind of serendipitous that Uh, The words that we're looking at today are uh, words about community. They're about relationships. They're about how we are to live together as the church. And so we're going to turn to John John chapter 19. Uh, If you have your Bible or they'll they'll be on the screens. But before we do, I want to pray once more. And... um, For me, it's often helpful for me to just, and if you feel comfortable, if you don't, no big deal, but when I pray to open my palms upward as a, just a physical reminder to my mind and to my heart that this is the way that I want to live before God, that I want to live in such a way that I am receiving from him. And when we open his word and when we gather in this way, uh, we want to receive from God what he has to say to us this morning. So, Father, we thank you that you are present, that we don't have to beg you to come, that we don't have to ask you to be here. You are here. And I just open my hands to you. 
and ask that you would speak to me even, that you would speak to us, that your word would come alive by your spirit, that we wouldn't just know your word, but we would live it. And so we just say we're ready. We want to receive from you. And we thank you that you want to give to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So these are the words of Jesus. It says, uh, when Jesus saw his mother near the cross and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, Jesus said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And these words, it's tempting to think of these words simply as, um, one, a beautiful display of Jesus' humanity and care and compassion for his mother, and that we should be kind to our mothers, be kind to your mother. Um, hi, mom. My mom watches. Um, <laughs> love you. Um, but if we were to take the narrative of the whole gospel of John, and that's when we read passages of scripture, it's good to get the context. What we would see in the gospel of John, and even in the way that Jesus uniquely addresses his mother, and it's only a couple of times in the gospel of John, I think we would see a larger narrative, a theme that John is wanting to put on display and why he would include these words of Jesus on the cross. I think what we would see is a theme of community, that Jesus is creating a new people, a new community. And if you go all the way back to Genesis, all the way through the end of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God is a God who always works in and through communities, through gatherings of people. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's gathering a people to himself that is unique because it's a people who belong to God because of what Jesus accomplishes through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension. So Jesus uh, is forming a family. In the New Testament, we see that first church, right? They often referred to themselves as brother, as sister. Of course, if you've been around the church more than a hot second, you know that it's a messy family, right? But this family that Jesus is gathering and that he's forming, it is intended to look a unique way. It's intended to look like Jesus and his community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a family that will be defined by life with God. It's a family seeking, and, and this is for us in our Western world, uh, because it's really hard for us to read the Bible, because as Westerners, we are, such, we are, we are addicted <laughs> to radical individualism, right? But that was not the culture of Jesus' world that he stepped into. 
It's a family that would replace that radical individualism, our sense of selfishness and isolation, that we would replace that with a love for others. It's a family that calls us to live into our truest identity and pur purpose because we were made to be humans who live with other humans. We were made to be humans who interact with others and, and not to be, and what I think sometimes we think we were made to be is that we were made to be machines, right? Who live on a treadmill to produce and prove and accumulate. Ultimately, it's a family seeking to look like Jesus. And Jesus is the most humble, courageous, loving, unself-obsessed human who ever lived. Fully God, fully human. If you want to know what it looks like to be human, look at Jesus, right? So I love that in his last gathering with his family, if you will, uh, his last gathering with his disciples, his friends, uh, he, before he went to the cross, um, he gathered them to show them what this community could look like. He gathered them not to teach them, but to show them. And we see this in John chapter 13, and that's where we'll be most of our time today. It says this in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, for him to die and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the very end. And what John is doing here is he's setting up this narrative to tell us that this is Jesus's love on display. This isn't a doctrinal treatise on Jesus's love. This is an insider's look to the love of Jesus. He loved them to the end. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, I love, I love Peter so much. No, you shall never wash my feet. Right? <laughs> Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter says, then give me a bath, right? Then just, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, because he wants every part of Jesus. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. 
their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done to you, he asked them, or done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The family of Jesus, the church that worships Jesus, is a family of foot washers. It's a family of foot washers. That's what we should look like. It's a family that lays down personal preferences and power and distractions to take up a towel. Would we be known for taking up our towel? There's so much in this passage, uh, but I'm just going to make three observations. The first one is this. Jesus' love has no limits. Jesus' love has no limits. He didn't just wash Peter's feet. He washed his betrayer's feet. Can you imagine? He washed Judas's feet. At Menlo Church, we talk about everyone being welcome. And my prayer is that that is not just a tagline, but that is the way that we live because that is the way of Jesus. I want to take a minute and I want to just ask you to consider who do you have difficulty seeing Jesus wash their feet? Who do you find easier to critique than care for? and extend compassion. Are you letting some people come to your mind? Who do you have difficulty seeing Jesus wash their feet? I wonder if one of you or a couple of you, maybe the thought came to your mind when I asked that question was me. I have difficulty seeing Jesus wash my feet. He washes your feet. He also washes the feet of those who came to mind to us who are really hard for us to imagine that Jesus would wash their feet. Whether it's on the extreme right wing over here or extreme left wing over here or it's the person at work or it's the parent or it's the kid or it's the coworker or boss. Jesus' love has no limits. He will wash their feet. There's a quote in our devotional this week that was... On Monday, it's from 
one of my favorite theologians, Fleming Rutledge, she says, we often hear people say that they can be religious without going to church. But the Christian community has a quality that the critiques do not take into consideration. When it is working, when it is working the way it's supposed to, people are brought together who have absolutely nothing in common, who may have diametrically different views on things, who may even actively dislike each other. That's Jesus's church. We want to find a church where everyone's like us. I like being in a community where everyone thinks like me and acts like me and has the same values as me. But the church of Jesus is filled with people who aren't like us. That's what makes the church not a country club. It makes the church not the garden club. It makes the church this incredibly unique entity that wants to live into the way of Jesus. Jesus washes everyone's feet. His love has no limits. My other observation is this. Jesus' love is really practical, right? It's not just a theory. He puts it on display. Foot washing was a very practical service at that time. Roads were dusty, feet needed to be washed, and Jesus washed feet. Love gives up preference for deference, right? I've done foot washings in retreats and gatherings, and here's what I think is kind of funny is that we tend, people always want to sign up to be the foot washer, but not the foot getter, foot wash getter, because it's kind of vulnerable. It requires something of us. Philippians 2, Paul says this, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's tempting to think that we're loving and serving people when, they, when we give them what we want, right? I was, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, yeah, I want to love practically Jesus, right? I want to do things. I want to serve people. But so often how that shows up is in me is I want to love you the way I want to be loved. Or I want to serve you the way I think you need to be served, right? It shows up in these kind of ways. It shows up, it could look like um, emptying the dishwasher when they really just want you to sit and listen, it can look like unsolicited advice, right? I'm guilty, guilty, guilty of that. Cheryl, shut it. Because <laughs> psychologists will tell us that advice is most often received as criticism. That's how a person experiences advice. They receive it as criticism. So when it's unsolicited, it doesn't come across as helpful. It comes across as soul-crushing, right? <laughs> It can look like only serving when we feel capable or able or competent. This list is just a list for me. I, if it hits any of y'all, I hope that's helpful too. But I just want, I want to serve in the places that I feel like I'll be successful, right? I want to serve you in the ways that I know I'm going I'm to show up well. 
In a similar way, it can look like helpful critique, right? Rather than appreciation. I'm going to help you by critiquing you. I'm going to help you by telling you what you're doing wrong. I'm going to help you by pointing out what I see, but apparently you don't see. The gift of criticism, which I have had in my life, is a gift to be returned. Give it back. I read this recently, and it has so struck me. I read it about a week ago, and I can't get it out of my head. Um, It said this. It said, Imagine every person you encounter with a sign around their neck saying, I want to be appreciated. Because every person wants to be appreciated. Can you imagine if tomorrow when you go to your coffee shop and uh, you picture your barista with the, I want to be appreciated on their name tag, right? You go to class and you see your high school friends and you imagine them or junior high friends, uh, you know, with, I want to be appreciated. Maybe that's your kid (laughs) that you see across the table and you picture a sign that says, I want to be appreciated. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your coworker. What would the world look like if we could imagine that? We're all tempted to love and serve in the ways that we want to love or serve and the, or in the way that we determine the other wants to be loved and served. And so a couple things that I've found helpful just for me is one, to sit with God and simply ask him, Lord, how would you have me love this person? How would you have me serve them? And listen, he loves them more than you ever will. He cares for them. Listen. And then maybe a more courageous step is to ask the person, right? What do you want? What do you actually need from me? How can I help in a way that's truly helpful And if you're feeling really courageous, and this is super vulnerable, I I wish I could do this more often than I do, to ask this question, what am I doing that doesn't really serve you or help you? (laughs) What am I doing that keeps you from asking me for, for help, right? Jesus's love has no limits. He will wash everyone's feet. His love is practical. And then my third observation is this. Jesus prefers love to power. Jesus prefers love to power. That's why his love is so transforming. That's why his love changes us, why it impacts us in the way that it does. You see, foot washing was a menial but necessary task. And if you go to, I was reading this, historians have not been able to find any record of any king ever washing feet or any leader ever washing feet or a rabbi washing feet, but Jesus did. In the biographies of Jesus, we see him washing feet. King Jesus washed feet feet. The God of the universe washed 
feet. Peter, remember, he's like, no, 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 you're never going to wash my feet. And of course, again, Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Okay, give me a bath, Peter replies, right? And then in verse 10, again, Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. And I want to suggest the bath is the adoption into the family that Jesus is forming. It is a one-time event. At the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we see the setup for this new family centered in Jesus. John says this in chapter one, he says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, and to believe in his name means to believe in all that he is, all that he does, everything about him. It's not like just a magical phrase, I believe in the name of Jesus, or in the name of Jesus I pray. It is saying the authority and the, and the Godhead of Jesus, I believe in all that he is. Those who believe in the name of Jesus, uh, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That's why the New Testament describes our salvation as adoption. It's done for us, and it's done to us, and it places us in God's family by grace. That's adoption, right? The bath is the adoption into the family that Jesus forms. In our vernacular, we might say the bath is becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus, and it's really vulnerable, right? It's vulnerable because it's something, again, that Jesus does for us does to us. It's not something we accomplish. It's not something we earn. The language that John uses is the language of receiving. And so being adopted into the family of Jesus, we're okay with Jesus being a crutch (laughs) because a crutch is really a gift when you're broken. And we're broken. We need that gift of Jesus. It's being okay with Jesus being our savior because when you're drowning, you joyfully reach out for the life preserver, right? To To be foot washers, and this is what I want us to hear. More than anything, if this is all you hear, To be foot washers is to first have had a bath so that we might then wash feet as well. To be a community, to be a church that lives in the way of Jesus begins with us first receiving Jesus being stunned by who he is, that we, Menlo Church, all over the peninsula, all over our neighborhoods, all over our schools, all over our uh, workplaces, that we would be known, metaphorically, as a family of foot washers. People who quickly take up the towel 
because the family of Jesus is attached to the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus seeks to act like Jesus. Doing what Jesus would do if he were us. Doing what Jesus would do if he were a mom, or he was a, a child, or he was a coworker, or he was um, a teacher, or whatever, right? To be like Jesus. Because Philippians 2 says it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we worship you. And we declare you to be Lord. We declare you to be our king, a king who washes feet, a king who loves, a king who serves. And oh, how we long to be more and more like you. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you empower us to live like you live, Jesus? We're so needy of you. We receive your grace and your kindness and your goodness this morning because you are King of kings and Lord of lords, the king who kneels down to wash feet. We love you. Amen.